Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week's episode is a little bit of a heavy one. Andy and I are talking about cyberbullying and what it means to be canceled these days. And uh, we are going to talk specifically about a case that has taken both mainstream media and um, the attention of the veterinary medicine community recently. Um, We are going to talk about the main hospital that was recently involved in an infamous uh, case of cyberbullying. But if you want to hear more information and get the inside scoop on that story, head on over to the Cone of Shame podcast. The July 7th episode has all of the details. We'll drop a link below in the show notes because Andy had the opportunity to talk to the doctor involved in that case and their marketing media manager as well about how um, their team dealt with the situation both during and after. But what Andy and I wanted to talk about today is the idea of what it means to be canceled in veterinary medicine. This is something that is... um, near and dear to my heart as a manager because I think it's something that we don't talk about enough and we need to start talking about it more and make our teams aware of things that are happening when it comes to cyberbullying and kind of the comment section that has has taken over the world um, but also is is near and dear to Andy as someone who lives his life very publicly on social media and who has experienced the ugliness and the backlash that can come with being online and so we are going to talk about what do, what do we do what does it mean um, what does cancel culture mean what do we do when our clinics are involved in situations of cyberbullying varying degrees. And while it was a very heavy one, this was a really good episode and we really enjoyed talking about this and I hope you enjoy it as well. So let's get into it, shall we? And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke and Stephanie Burn It All <laughs> Down Goss. That's so appropriate. Um, yeah. how's, it, how's it going, Andy? It's um, it's good. Life yeah. is good. We are, yeah, we're in the thick of the summer here. Um, yeah, yeah is, just is it like swelteringly hot over there? It's it's pretty. It's pretty brutal. Yeah, it's it's pretty brutal. <laughs> Been some good swimming pool sitting weather, but right. uh, but overall, it's pretty brutal. It's uh, it's been a uh, it's been a busy time at the clinic. Yeah, I I took my oldest daughter with me. Uh a couple of days ago uh just she, she wants to be a vet she thinks and so she went in and everything died oh, I was no. like, it was like it's when you bring your kid to work <laughs> and there was literally oh, a no. crashing kitten there was a, a one-week-old puppy that was doa there was <sighs> a transfusion cat not all of them were mine right but, but just more, the, more than one of, of them was mine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And we, so we, hard. Drove, we just drove home in silence. Oh. And, and then we were, we were pulling into the driveway. We pulled in to the garage and I stopped and she just sat there. Then she said, does that happen a lot? <laughs> I was like, <laughs> not kid. to that degree, not to that degree, <laughs> but it does happen. Poor kid. So. So her mother asked her, do you still want to be a veterinarian? She was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I do. So she wasn't <laughs> she wasn't totally turned off. So that's that's good. But oh, uh, man. I, I, yeah, I was bring your kid to death day. That's so hard. Like, I, 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 you know, you think about going to work with your parents as like you're this exciting thing and you're discovering what it's like to be a grown up. And then that was like that was a reality check in the. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
It's okay. That was some serious adulting there. Oh, yeah, we man. made it though. How about you? It's good. It's really good. It's, you know, the middle of the summer crazy. So uh, lots of travel is happening and uh, and camps and all of the things. So it's uh, it's crazy busy, but it is really good. We're, we're working on lots of fun stuff that is coming from Uncharted. And uh, there's lots of stuff happening behind the scenes and our team has been growing. And so it's uh, things are, things are good. It's, it's, it's busy. I'm not going to lie. Like I am ready for some summer weather is summer here in Western Washington generally starts right about this time. So we're recording this just after 4th of July and, uh, it, the summer starts the 5th of July and the first two days of summer have been very disappointing. It has been overcast and gross and I'm like, for the love of all that is holy. Can I please just have some sunshine? Cause this year weather-wise has been awful, but it's good. Yeah, it's good. that's that's so. awesome. We got big <laughs> stuff coming from Uncharted in the yeah. back half of the year. And uh, we just finished up the first launch period for the Dr. Andy Rourke exam room communication toolbox online yeah. on-demand course. And we uh, we hit and exceeded all our sales goals, uh, which were uh, which were legit. So uh, yeah, super happy with that. Um, doing good stuff. Yeah, I'm ex- I'm excited to hear how it's going for people in their clinics. Like we've had yeah. a lot of a lot of people who have um, you know gotten the course and and we're starting to hear like the feedback in the follow up, and I'm super excited to see how that is going. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who are looking at it for the fall. Uh, to, yeah. you know to. To, to start doing some exam room training and stuff with it uh, then. And so I, uh, we, you know, I learned with the angry client course that we have that um, people get it and then they just use it along and along, which is why yeah. I made it so modular this time, just to really make it easy to break up and use. But I suspect we'll, we'll be getting uh, feedback on the course for the next year or two yeah. uh, as people use it in different ways. And, and I'm going to, I'm going to keep updating it and, and adding new stuff and replacing stuff. If I feel like it ever feels outdated, you know, it needs to be freshened up. So anyway, well, that's the plan. And I think one of the things that's that's great about about it is that like right now, it's a great time to have something that is asynchronous, right? Because everybody's yeah. shorthanded, everybody's super overwhelmed. And uh, almost I, I have actually been talking to a bunch of vet friends from outside Uncharted this this last week, just catching up with people because the kids are gone and I actually can have a phone conversation without getting interrupted. It's amazing <laughs> how that works. Um, but I've been I've been talking to people and they're just like, you know, I'm training like four new people at once. I One of my friends was like, we literally have eight new people who have started in the last 30 days yeah. and it's, it's chaos. And uh, so we were talking about how nice it is to have a plan and a structure that allows you to be like, okay, I, today is one of those days where I literally cannot with you and with not you don't take it personal, <laughs> but like, I cannot, I, yeah. I need to focus on our patients or our clients or whatever. So, but here's some learning, like here's an actual structure. And so to be able to use it asynchronously is, um, is super, super awesome. And I am really looking forward to, uh, diving into, we've got the get shit done conferences coming up in October and we're totally talking about how do we get shit done shorthanded because yeah. everybody is shorthanded right now. And we have to start to think outside the box and read the, think about how do we redo some of the stuff that we've done the same way for a really long time. Cause what we've always done is not working. Yeah. Um, and so I'm super excited to get together with everybody and, um, and have some really good conversation about how do we 
how do we solve some of these challenges? Yeah, you don't need to be an Uncharted member to come to that either. So mm-hmm. uh, we try to make it really accessible. But yeah, it's virtual. Everybody can jump in. But yeah, we, we've got we've got a ton of stuff coming out the back half of this year and yeah. then into next. Next year is going to be the year of Uncharted. I think it's uh, it's looking pretty, pretty incredible in a lot of ways. Yeah, we're going to have some fun. Uh, this episode, I don't I don't know how fun this episode's going to be, but I think it's it's a really uh, it's a really timely one. And um, I think it's really something really, really important to talk about. So you yeah. just uh, recently, uh, I think the episode dropped this week, right today? Yeah, July, uh, July the 7th is the day that we're recording this. It's the Kona Shame episode. I got to interview uh, the lead doctor. Uh, she's an emergency critical care specialist and the communications manager for Rare Breed uh, Vet Clinics. Their hospital was the hospital in Maine. And I'm intentionally not giving a ton of details because I don't want to right. stir things back up for them. Um but they were the hospital, that hospital in Maine that the world kind of watched recently as they got really absolutely trashed online. And I think yeah. that they got a lot of attention in the vet world because I don't know that they did anything really, r- quote unquote, wrong. Right. And, and and I think that's why so many people paid attention. I I think it was a very scary and upsetting case for a lot of people because I think most of us could see ourselves being this practice that really got torched. And so for those people who don't know the story, uh, there was a hospital. uh, It was an emergency hospital and they had a patient come in. They should go listen to the episode, right? Oh yeah. Well yeah, you can hear you can hear in detail. If you wanna if you wanna hear it all, uh Kono Shame Veterinary Podcast is the other podcast I do. The July seventh episode is uh called something like um what happens when what does it mean when your vet clinic is canceled? And they share their story. And so you can absolutely get all the details there. The the thing, uh I, the gist of the story was that they had a very, very, very sick patient that needed a major surgery, you know, ten thousand mm-hmm. plus dollar surgery uh, to save this young this young patient. And the owner did not have uh, the finances to do that, which is right. terrible. Uh, after a lot of discussion, the owner said, um, is there someone else that would take this dog and pay for the surgery and I would give them the dog? And uh, the clinic found uh, found a group, found a rescue group that would pay for the surgery right? Uh, and, and take the pet. And then after that, uh, after it happened, the owner was a bit, I guess, confused about what happened or they had a, they had a lot of emo- second strong emotions, or, second thoughts. Yeah. Exactly. I'm not trying to, to uh, determine kind of what their thoughts were. I, I think it would be a horrible experience for anyone to go through. Sure. But uh but anyway, they they ended up on the local news, which was picked up by national news, and and also uh, their story became the uh, they was on the first page of Reddit, which is a huge right. internet site. And uh, anyway, literally thousands of angry phone calls came into the vet clinic um, that in one day. Yeah, and it was just they had to shut the phones down, and and uh, death threats and a police presence was required, and it was just this absolutely horrible thing, and so. 
Uh, anyway, I, I don't want to say that. that's that's the basic story of what of what happened there. Yeah. So um, we're we're not necessarily today. You and I aren't necessarily going to talk specifically about them. But in talking about right. this case and in you doing the Cone of Shame episode with them, you and I were talking back and forth about um, ca- cancel culture in general and cyberbullying. And we you and I both said, like, we can totally empathize here because it's so easy to imagine our own clinics in their shoes, right? And we were talking about the context of, uh, you know, being that that feeling you get when you get a crappy review or your name gets mm. dragged through the mud in local Facebook groups, or, you know, you certainly have dealt with uh, the the online trolls and commentary through the Dr. Andy Rourke site over the years, right? Like there's yeah. always, there's all, I think all of us immediately felt this empathy towards this clinic because we looked at it. I know I looked at it as a manager and was like, they did so many things right. And they, you know, and, and they were smart and yet they're still, they're still in the middle of this. And it, I just, it was heartbreaking. And like you said, I think that's why so many of us in veterinary medicine looked at this and went, what the heck? And how do we, how do we change this? How do we stop this? They had, uh, they had, documentation of everything they had legal mm-hmm. documentation they yeah. had signed contracts like they had they had none of this was sort of fly by night like it was all stuff that they had clearly set up it, mm-hmm. to make to be able to to make things like this happen and and they still ended up uh you know dealing with dealing with a lot of uh a lot of over the top reactions and a lot of right. hate and you know one of my sort of personality traits is when things like this happen i i tend to look at it and go what can we learn from this mm-hmm. and i feel like there's got to be something that the rest of us can take away because I'll be honest, uh, I think that this is, I don't think this is going away. Right. I, I think this is probably becoming more common, at least in yes. the short term. Um, I hate I hate it. Veterinary practices make good villains. You know, it's really, yeah, there's, um, it's very easy to whip people up into an emotional frenzy when you cast veterinarians who are supposed to be, everybody hates a hypocrite. They hate right. a hypocrite. And so if a story comes, and, and the other thing is everybody wants a simple story. Um, and, and there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of narratives in politics where there is a very simple story that you go, that just makes sense. It's like, doesn't matter if it doesn't make sense. It's simple. Yep. And people can recite it and they understand it. And so the the narrative that the greedy vet clinic took advantage of the powerless pet owner, um, it hits emotional chords with people. Sure. And they react strongly to it. And that's what yeah. social media runs on is strong emotional reaction. And so right. when I when I say vet, vets and vet clinics make good villains, I mean that from a psychological standpoint and from an algorithm response standpoint, like we're kind of uh, in a position where we can be made targets because of the trust the public has in us, because of the reputation we have as advocate for pets. Um, people can tell a story that paints us as, as hypocrites, as people pretending to care when we don't. Um, right. and, and that gets an emotional reaction pretty regularly, which is like, I don't think this is going away. And I hate to say it, but I think it's going to be part of our profession. And I th- and, and that's why I think it's something we should start to talk just pragmatically about. Yeah. I mean, think think about how many of us have had the conversation with our teams, our front mm-hmm. desk teams, um, when you have the client on the phone or in the building who. Um, has said to us, you know, who has pulled the emotional blackmail card and said, you know, if you if you really cared about animals, you would help, you know, you would help my my pet. It's that same um, kind of 
uh, feeling and and yeah. response, I think. And and for so many of us, um, the initially let's let's be real, like veterinary medicine was very slow to get online <laughs> and to get get involved in social media. And so for so many of us, it was that personal experience. Right. Or it was somebody at the dog park who was telling everybody at the dog park about their crappy experience. But it was it was small and it was local yeah. for so many of us for so long. And I think now cases like like this and things that we are starting to see kind of on repeat have really made it feel more personal for a lot of us. And also it's that it's that gut feeling of like, oh, this could happen to my clinic. You know, like you hear about it and it happens to other people. It happens in other places. You don't think about yourself being in their shoes. And now I feel like it has happened repeatedly enough. And there have been more cases like this where the ducks actually were in a row and the right things were done. And the team still was, you know, just massacred over it. And so I think it I think it has become something that is absolutely something that we need to talk about. And more than just talking about it, I think we have to start to think every every one of us has to think about how do we how do we handle it? Because it may not be us today, but we need to be able to be ready if it is us. Yeah. Oh, I agree. And, you know, it's funny when I was talking to the to the vet clinic that went through it, I said, you know, this really spoke to me because it was only a month or two ago. I had a puppy that came in that had a broken leg and the owner did not have the funds to pay for the animal's broken leg. And I didn't know what I was going to do because mm-hmm. this is like a one year old happy dog. Other right. than the fact it's like it's broken. In, but it's a it's a hard orthopedic procedure. And, sure. and they just and they don't have it. Um, And it's everybody on a fixed income. And she may she made it easy on me because she said hey and this is awful to hear but but she said i'm glad she was honest she said hey this dog was a gift to me and i don't really i don't have the energy to take care of it you know what i mean i didn't i didn't ask for a dog if there's someone else who would take this dog then i would yeah i would 100 surrender it. yeah and yes i and and i like many other vets knew someone else who would to take the dog. Sure. It was not it was not one of our staff members. It was nothing like that. Uh, and you right. and I can talk about that stuff in a bit. But uh, anyway, it, I had somebody who would pay for the surgery and do the thing. And so and so we did it. And I just look and then say, I'm not going to crap on the emergency hospital for what they did because I did the same thing. Because right. when you're there and they're like, I can't afford it. And you're like, I don't want this. I don't want to put this animal to sleep if somebody else would right. would be able to provide the service. And, and, and again, and I also get where the pet owners come from, mm-hmm. where, you know, it's... Uh, there's a lot of nuance here. Uh, so so let me frame this up a little bit and sort of say uh, the number one real absolute burn down the building uh, scenario that I see often involves people surrendering pets because they can't afford care. And, yeah. and boy, that that is a is a time honored tradition by veterinarians where you say, well, you can't afford it. Um why don't you give us the dog, um, surrender it, and we'll either see what we can do or we'll get somebody else to pay for it and things like that. And, and as a veterinarian, I know that comes from a good place. I right. know it's not a secret thing of, ooh, that's such a great dog. I want to have it. I'm going right. to I'm gonna take it. No, 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 that doesn't happen. Yeah. But I, but I also can understand how you're the pet owner and you say, I love my pet. I can't afford to pay for this service. You're willing to do the service and then give the dog away. 
why don't you give it to me? Because I love it more than anyone right. else will love it. Um, right. And and I see that a lot. I see that especially a lot when when there's not someone who's like, I will pick up the bill. Right. Um, but it's like, you know, like, anyway, there's, there's a lot of weird things like that in the way that we have traditionally done these types of cases. I, yeah. I think it's getting I think it's getting worse because, guys, we didn't used to do ten thousand dollar surgeries. Right. Like that just didn't right. happen. Yes. And so that that's not a thing that existed in the past. So that 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 ratchets up the stakes and, and now we've got these procedures that people really struggle to pay for. And then uh, the other part was we didn't have social media where someone would be angry and go out and share their story and and elicit emotional reactions warranted or not from right. from from other people. That just didn't happen. And so now we we've really seen even though we've we've done this for a long time, the repercussions now and the, probably the frequency with which you're doing it is very is very different. And so I think that that's that's really put us in a in a in a tough place. The other one is just um, the simple, uh, you know, my my pet died, and 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 those there are circumstances we've all seen where where those 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 things come out with one side of the story being told online. Um, and and it can be a horrible experience for the for the vet clinic. So let's um, let's start like we do from from the headspace perspective, and then I think you and I have some some things we want to talk about specifically in terms of like how do we handle how do we handle this, and also maybe how do we? Um, I don't think you can uh, avoid it, right? Like I I really I I don't think it's not we are not solely in control because it involves outside it involves clients, right? It involves people outside of our control. Yeah. But how, how do we, how do we, you know, mitigate the impact for the, for the team certainly. Um, and for the, for the clinic, but from, from a headspace perspective, like where do, where do we start with this? So I thought a lot about this cause, cause I was like, what is the, what's the takeaway from, from what we've seen and when we see clinics just getting sort of burned online and, and, and things like that. And, and their reputation is really just taking a beating. Yeah. Uh, I, I think the first thing is, and I could speak from personal experience as, as someone who has been uh, torched and pitchforked yes. online <laughs> many times yes. uh, for different, for different things. Um, it feels awful. Um, it's easy to look at other clinics and you haven't gone through it and you're like, oh, well, you know, it's just a bunch of people online. Um, it feels like your reputation is being destroyed. Like everything that you built is being torn down. If you are the doctor that is being named here, you feel like no one's ever going to trust you again uh, to, to, you know, to do your work. And, sure. that, and that all of the good you've done in the past doesn't count for anything. And I can tell you that is a horrible emotional experience, but I have found that to be the most common path for most of us who are going through this. And so just know this feels awful. It also, it taps into this caveman part of our brain, right? The tribal status part of our brain, where we are these tribal community building people and being shunned from the fire circle is to die in our caveman mind. And when we see our reputation being torn down, we are being publicly shamed by the tribe. It presses emotional buttons in us that are real hardwired yeah. and, and that are ancient. And uh, boy, it just gets it gets a response that's really hard to imagine if you haven't been through it. That's the big I guess those are the big opening validation things is just know if this happens, it's going to it's going to be it's going to be awful. Well, and and I think you and I talk a lot um, about 
headspace, obviously, on the podcast. And one of the things when it comes to dealing with a lot of other situations that we have talked about repeatedly is the idea of, you know, we can't we can't take it personal. And this, I think, maybe more than anything else we've talked about, like, it almost feels when when it's you, when it's your clinic, when it's your uh, medicine as a as a doctor or a paraprofessional staff, or when you're getting ripped by a client for the way you treated them from a customer service perspective, it, it is it feels I felt uh, like it was impossible to not take it personal, right? And I know rationally oh, yeah. in my head that there is a person on the other end of this. There's a pet owner who is emotional, who loves their pet, who cares, who is hurt. And I know that rationally hurt people hurt people, right? Mm-hmm. We've talked about that before. And yet more than anything else, this is um, this is a place where from a headspace perspective, it is really, really hard. And for for me being in the middle of it um, at one point in time with my clinic, like it felt impossible to not take yeah. it personal, you know, and and that's that's a that's a really hard thing. Like we should acknowledge that. And rationally, I think a lot of us know in our brains we should not take this personal because hurt people hurt people. And we can. But but knowing that and actually embracing it and breathing it and living it, it is really, really, really hard. Well, this is this is why it's so much harder in situations like this. When there's an angry client and they call you and they talk to you and they say, you're stupid. You go, that's one person. Right. And that's a hurt person. Right. The problem with stuff like this is you have what appears to be a thousand people all agreeing right. that you're stupid. And so me saying, well, that's her opinion and, and she's an angry person. That's much easier for me to keep that in proportion than right. a thousand people told me that I am terrible. How could a thousand people be wrong? I mean, there's so many of these people and they're all so yeah. angry and they're all talking about how horrible I am or about how horrible the clinic is. And that's that's where so social media, as we have it, it really drives this. Things to remember here with social media are a few people can sound like a ton of people. Yes. And yeah. the, the, the first time I got in to it with a with a group that did not like something that I had said or not said. I ultimately ended up going back and finding it was six people, but they they used all the different platforms. They called right. uh, they called on the phone and then right. when one of them would would one of them would post the other ones would jump in and comment and right. sort of tag other people. But really there was six people who were all clearly well connected and they they may have all been related. I don't know. They could have been one person with six accounts. I right. don't know. But right. man, it felt like a stampede when it was happening. And but you're hearing all of these voices. And so, you know, social media is awful about um about making a couple of people seem like a ton. It's also awful about making the most passionate voices seem the like loudest. the most important and the yep. loudest. Yep. And that that is one of the things that I, as a beef I really have with social media is people are like, it gets everyone a voice. And I say, it, it disproportionately amplifies the angriest people. Um, it makes small groups seem like big groups, especially fringe groups. And it amplifies misinformation and things that aren't true because those things get a lot of attention and they spread quickly. And so it's not like just having a conversation. It is set up in a way that really is uh, negative in its impact on people who are at the receiving end of this. The last part about it is our own psychology too, is stepping back. And I talked about sort of a caveman 
you know, mm-hmm. status. There's, mm-hmm. And we've talked about negativity bias a, a ton of times. We tend to remember the bad things that happen over the good things. Right. We have a we have a bias towards remembering what went wrong at the clinic instead of what went right. When it started off and I said, I took my daughter to the clinic and everything died. Of course, that's not true. There was actually, <laughs> there was actually a litter of- There was puppies. A, there was, there was a, a laundry basket full of puppies that came in. And my daughter just melted and loved it. And right. she talked about that as much as she talked about the other stuff, but I only go like, oh, this was awful. Everybody died. Everybody died. That's negativity bias. So that's, and I have it just like everybody else does. And so anyway, but, but of yeah. course that negativity bias, it makes it so hard for us to remember the good things that we do, all the thank yous that we got. And it makes it really easy for us to remember, especially the hateful things yeah. that people say. And so all of these things just tee up on us. It's, it's so interesting because you're totally right about the, the, few people look like a lot. I was reading um, an article this week uh, written by a, a mother and she was presenting a, a side of parenting that is uh, something that was not talked about a lot. And I the article really resonated with me and like in a huge way. And I was like, oh my God, it feels like somebody crawled inside my brain. And I, so I I very rarely go in the comment section oh, no. because I know what the comment section is like because of what we do for a living. Oh, exactly. So I, so I very rarely travel uh, and traverse the comment section, but I it I appreciated this article so much. I opened it up and I was pleasantly surprised because the first like 20 comments were all from people like me who were just like, oh, my God, thank you for sharing. We don't talk about this. Like, I appreciate this. And then immediately I lasered in on the first horrible, horrible comment from someone who was like, you're an awful person. You're a horrible parent. Like you should, you, you know, you shouldn't be people like you shouldn't be allowed to have children. And then there was a whole litany of, of comments from other people who agreed with that person. Mm -hmm. Right. And I was thinking to my, I remember thinking to myself, if I was the writer, I would a hundred percent have ignored all of these positive comments about how my, how this resonated with so many people. And I would have focused solely on that negative, people ripping you apart and your point was so good because after a while I looked I looked back and I looked and I was like there's the good and the positive comments here actually really truly outweigh the negative but I guarantee that for that person the negative was really hard to ignore because it was just so it was it was small but it was so awful and I just it was that same kind of feeling and as a clinic like there's always right every time something negative gets brought up in a in a community group or Mm -hmm. you know one star review there are always those amazing wonderful the, the, you know, the Mrs. Jones clients who bring your team cookies and Christmas gifts and, you know, and they immediately jump on and say all of the good, wonderful, positive things. And yet our brains are just hardwired to dismiss that good, I think, so much easier than we can let go of the negative. And yeah. it's, it is it is hard. It's, this is a hard headspace one to overcome, I I think, because you have to be really intentional. Um, And it takes a lot of it takes a lot of emotional work, which is Mm -hmm. which is which is hard. And so for a lot of us, it's like, 
oh, okay, it's easier to let that little negative voice start shouting and ranting in our heads and think, well, maybe I am a bad doctor. Maybe I did do something wrong. Maybe I could have, maybe I should have offered to do the surgery for free, right? Like, am I, am I a horrible person? Do I, you know, maybe I should do, uh, you know, and it's really easy to let yourself slip into listening to that voice Mm -hmm. in the moment of like, if I was, if I was a good person, maybe I would have done this, you know, which is, which is so, so negative. It's, it's hard and it's crappy. Well, of course. And, and, you know, the benefit of hindsight is great. So as I've been doing this for 15 years Mm -hmm. now uh, online and the number of people who will show up with hindsight and say, oh, wow, you should have seen this. Give me a break. You know, like after you know how the story ends, you can totally go back and critique decisions that are made. Sure. All right. So, so uh, let me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wrap up headspace here with some positive headspace. Okay. Because this is, this is. I, I, I want to validate the crappy yes. sludge that people are yes. going through when they get dragged into a, a local Facebook group, when they yes. get beat up online, all those things. All right. Now it's time to get our head into a place that that is going to be good. Number one, know that this often is not fair. Life right. is not fair. This is not fair. This is one side of the story that's being told publicly. And because of our professionalism, because of medical ethics, because of legality, we're often not able to tell our side of the story. We're generally not able to tell our side of the story. Right. And that is not fair, but it's real. So right. at least take uh, heart in the fact that this is not fair. And, and, and most of us know it's not fair. Keyboard disassociation is real. People will say horrible things online that they would never say to a quote unquote real person. Right. Yes. There, yes. there are a lot of people out there, I think, who have a good heart, especially when it comes to animal uh, animals. I think a lot of them often feel powerless and, and sort of impotent to, to actually affect change for animals they care about. And so when the opportunity to punish someone that they are told is a villain comes up, they do it with glee, sure. right? There are people out there, I swear, who all they want to do is beat somebody up, but they don't want to be a bad person. So they wait for the opportunity to beat someone up and tell themselves that they're a hero for doing it. And they jump on those opportunities. I think that there's, there's, you see those people, they're just uh, brawlers online, but they only are bullies when it's justifiable. And I I don't like that. That is a subculture on the internet, but those people just lurk out there looking for something to do. And the last part is, and this always, uh, this one, this is the one that hurts me. This is the one that stings is when our colleagues, other veterinarians, vet techs, people who work in vet clinics, mm-hmm. they will they will often come in and critique. And they will say, well, you know, you should have done this. Yeah. Or you should have done that. And <laughs> again, hindsight is 2020. Should is a dangerous word. <laughs> well, and you say, well, why do they do that? When, when, when I'm getting beaten up online, when people are saying I'm terrible, you know, when I'm getting a one-star review and people are piling on, right. why, would another, why would another person who doesn't know me come in and say that? And the answer to that question, I believe, is we as colleagues, we want to believe those people made a mistake. Sure. Because because that means that it won't happen to me because I wouldn't make that mistake. And we can tell ourselves that this is not going to happen to me and we can feel safe. And so when you see people online who come in and say, well, they never should have done this and they never should have done that. Those people are trying to convince themselves that this would not happen to them because they would know better. And that, my friends, is bullshit. Um, <laughs> and it is. But I see, I see it. You see it all the time. True story. It, it, it's it's yeah. And again, like 
You see it in horror movies. People are like, oh, what an issue. She ran into the basement. Right. I would never do that. <laughs> You're saying that because you want to believe that you would survive the horror movie. Right. Uh, but you wouldn't. You would You would be killed. <laughs> you know, you may not have run in the basement. You would have done something equally stupid and you would have been staked to a tree with a big knife <laughs> like the rest of us. <laughs> Suddenly off topic. But it's really hard for me not to take the the feedback from my colleagues of, uh, why, why didn't you right. do this? Like, that's yes. a dagger in my heart. I, I believe that a lot of times it is people, they're thinking to themselves, why would this not happen to me? I better come up with a reason, something that I would do differently. And, and then they they do that. Remember that these things are a force of nature. Uh, I I really believe that being torched by an internet mob is is being hit by lightning at this point. With with that general frequency, it absolutely happens. Right. And there's not a whole, whole lot you can do about it. We like to believe we have a lot more control than we do. And we don't. Um, and, and we don't. And your good heart is not going to necessarily get you out of this. In fact, we can look at the things in Maine and say, sometimes no good deed goes unpunished. You know, um, sometimes going above and beyond is yep. really what sets you up to make people really angry. And yep. boy, that's unfair. But it's 100% true. So um, I, I think these things are more and more just something that happened. And, 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 you know, there are cases where people do bad stuff and they get caught. Don't Don't think I'm not saying that. But in most of the instances I see, this could have happened to a hundred other vet practices that same day. Anyway, yeah. this too shall pass. And after talking to a lot of people, myself included, who have been through things like this, it feels terrible. It runs its course. Yeah. People, people get bored and they move on. This is going to be a terrible 72 hours and a generally crappy week. Yeah. But But 12 weeks from now, this will be uh, an unpleasant memory and your clients will be coming. They'll be there just like they were before. And honestly, they probably won't remember. And this is on the basis of whatever happened was an unfair representation of what the vet did, not not something awful that that truly happened. But um, right. But for the most part, this too shall pass. And in every one of my experiences in clinics that I've talked with as they've gone through these things, you know, 12 weeks later, the the clients who actually came in the door um, still come in the door, right. and, you know, and, and there's there's things that we can do to mitigate the damages and to make this uh, as survivable. As, as, yeah, exactly right. Well, it's uh, there's things that we can do to mitigate how painful this is going to be. Yeah. And I think I think we should talk about those after the break. But but let me check in with you. What um any final headspace pieces before we move on to action stuff? Yeah, no, I I agree. I I think when I was thinking about it, we were talking about this this two shall pass like in again, when you're in the thick of it, it's really hard to imagine that it's going to blow past, right? Cuz that's it's all consuming. That's all you can think about. And and from an outside perspective, like when this happened, and I can think of lots of other examples um, including some with with you and and the, you know the doctor Andy uh, side, you think, oh my God, this is like this is never going to go away. And it was all it was all over. I yeah. I have been staying off of social media for a whole bunch of reasons. Yeah, um, yeah totally. Lately, yeah, and, I gotcha. and yet um, when this happened, I got multiple texts and calls from people who were like, have you seen what happened to this hospital? And I was like, no, I because I haven't been on social media. And I opened it up and it was like, literally, I, I there are hundreds of people that I'm connected with online 
who I know from veterinary medicine, literally almost every single one of them had posted yeah. something or reposted something. And it was it was everywhere and for, for days. And I thought, uh, this is never going to go away. But then yeah. something else stupid happens in the world. Yeah. <laughs> and and, you know, and our, our media culture takes over. And then it mm. was it was old news. And it really yeah. it really did. And and but in that moment, even as an outsider, I looked at this and said, oh, God, like this is not going away anytime soon. Like this is intense. It's everywhere. Yeah. And, you know, I, I think that's it's good, good advice. Like it will it will pass. And that doesn't make it any less painful like to, let's acknowledge that it 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 does feel crappy like it is not there it doesn't make it any less painful in the moment but we can all do hard things for yeah. for a certain period of time right and so i think this is one of those things where i think you have to lean into it and say like i can i can put one foot in front of the other and i can do some of the things we're going to talk about next and i can lean into my team and and sooner or later it will go away yeah yeah. Totally and just true. to be just to be clear, when you looked at the vet pages, m- almost all of them were supportive of oh, uh, yes. the vet clinic and stuff. And, and that was I thought that was a wonderful thing from our from our side of the profession. And again, if you want to hear their story, uh, it's uh, the July 7th Kona Shame vet podcast. But but uh, the profession, a lot of people really came yes. out very positive for them. And that's great. Let's uh, let's take a break and we'll come back and let's get let's get our ducks in a row just to uh, to protect ourselves as best we can. Sounds good. Hey, Stephanie Goss, you got a second to talk about Guardian Vets? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Man, I uh, I hear from people all the time that are overwhelmed because the phones never stop ringing. Yes. Um, and I'm sure you, you hear from these people as well. You know, like our caseload is blowing up and the doctors are busy and uh, the phones just don't stop. They never stop. <laughs> that is a true story. I'm amazed by how, uh, how few veterinarians know about Guardian Vets. This is a service where you have uh, registered technicians uh, who can jump in virtually and help you on the phones. You can flip the switch and uh, Guardian Vets can jump in and take some of the load off the front desk and they can handle your clients and get them booked for your appointments and give them support. And it really is a godsend. Pre-pandemic, it was amazing to me how many people hadn't heard about it for after hours call help. But at this point, I can't believe how many people don't realize that they are offering help during the daytime as well, which I would think right now is a huge benefit to practices because everybody is shorthanded. Everybody is drowning in phone calls. And so we talk about it. We've talked about Guardian Vets a lot on the podcast. And every time we do, we always get somebody who says, what is that? <laughs> Guys, if you're not familiar with Guardian Vets, if you think that you could use some help on the uh, on the phones or up the front desk, check them out. It's guardianvets.com. And uh, if you mention our podcast, me and Stephanie Goss, uh, you get a month free. So check it out, guardianvets.com. Hey, everybody, this is Stephanie, and I'm going to jump in here for one quick second and make sure that you know about a few things that are coming up that I'm pretty sure you're not going to want to miss. But before I do that, I have to say thank you. Thanks to a generous gift from our friends at Banfield Pet Hospital, we are now able to provide transcripts for all of our podcast episodes. And we have to just say thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Andy and I have wanted to make the podcast more accessible. And when we were pondering the idea of how do we make transcripts a thing, our friends at Banfield stepped up in a big way and said, hey, we are striving to increase accessibility and inclusivity across the profession. This fits with that mission for us and we would love to sponsor it. So the 2022 podcast episodes are all now 
being transcribed and brought to you by our friends at Banfield Pet Hospital. To check out the transcript and find out more about what Banfield is doing to increase accessibility and inclusivity across the vet profession, head over to unchartedvet.com forward slash blog, and you can find each one of the podcast episodes and a link to find out more about equity, inclusion, and diversity at Banfield. And now, people, I am going to jump in here for one quick second and make sure that you know about a workshop that is coming up. It is called Navigating Neurodiversity, Your Clients, Coworkers, and Self. And it is with the amazing Dr. Amanda Doran. Amanda is an Uncharted member. She is a wonderfully kind and funny person. And she is going to be leading us through a conversation about learning how to navigate interactions with different individuals and creating a culture within our practices that is both supportive of and inclusive of neurodiversity. It is a really, really important topic. It is one that I think needs to have a lot more discussion in veterinary medicine. And we are really excited to be bringing this one to you. It is happening on July 27th. It is a 7 p.m. Eastern session. So it is two hours. It will be over at 9 p.m. Eastern, which means 4 p.m. Pacific, uh, 4 to 6 p.m. Pacific time. And it is $99 for members of the public. And it is free as always for our Uncharted members. And this workshop is awesome. We also have uh, more coming up throughout the summer and the calendar at unchartedvet.com forward slash events is constantly being updated. I encourage you, if you are not currently an Uncharted member to head on over to the website, check out what's coming up and remember that all of our workshops like this are free for our Uncharted members. And now back to the podcast. All right. Um, so what do we, uh, what do we, what do we do in here, Steph? Are there things that we can do? We already said there's a force of nature. Does that mean we just throw our hands up and just let it, let it go and, and hope that we don't get hit by lightning? Um, yes and no. <laughs> it, it depends, yeah. right? Ex- like, so- acceptance <laughs> is important, but also. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. Like I, I do, like, I do think that, um, okay, you know that lightning strikes happen and yeah. you can't control that. And yet, does that keep me in my house? for my whole totally. life to avoid the lightning? No. And I think it's that same, I think we have to adopt that same mentality, right? Like we have to open our eyes to the fact that this is a cultural shift and it is happening for more and more frequently, like you said. And I think we can't, I, I don't want to live in my house and hide for the rest of my life, right? And yeah. so at some point, I think that all of our rationales have to shift to, this is a possibility. It might be a small possibility. If we do things, especially if we do things to set ourselves up for success, but even if we do all of the right things, it could still happen. Yeah, there's, um, you know, we say, yeah, it, it is a force of nature. Uh, there's a there's a quote from the Quran that roughly translated uh, is, uh, it says, trust in Allah, but don't forget to tie up your camel. <laughs> and, and I'm like, that's it. A hundred percent. Like it, it is like, you know, yes. well, we're going to trust that yes. everything is going to be okay from, you know, from above. Yes. And at the same time, I'm still just going to go ahead and do the basic thing that I can do uh, to, to prevent hardship it's actually, for myself. I love it. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's, it's pretty great. That's that's right. Right. Like there. Yeah, there are things that we can do. And, and we're going to talk about some of those and things, things that we should do because we want to we want to try and avoid it if we can. Sure. And there are things we can do uh, preventatively and then to, to avoid it and then things that we can do to mitigate the impact when it does right. happen. But, but I think we ha- you have to 
recognize that it's a possibility. Sure, of course. So first, first part is acceptance. Uh, it, it might still happen, but there are things that we can do. So I was thinking about this a lot and go, okay, well, what do we do? Well, we, we do have things that we can, we can at least put our thumb on the scales. We can reduce the probability of this happening yes. and we can try to reduce the severity of things like this happening when, when they do occur. And so those right. are the big things that I'm going out. Obviously, if we can, we're going to avoid it. So how do we avoid it? Clear per- protocols uh, and intentional decisions right? Yes. Especially, especially about money and surrender. Um, yes. What is What are your policies when clients can't afford procedures? Yes. Do you allow people to surrender pets? I am getting less and less okay with this just because of how the world is changing. Yes. I go, I don't, I'm definitely, I am definitely not okay with people's, I don't like people surrendering animals and those animals getting passed off to the staff. There's a lot of things I don't like about that. But One that's, of that's, my biggest pet peeves. Yeah. And that's really hard to defend. It's sort of like this person yes. who wants the pet can't afford it. So now we're going to give it to Carol who has too many pets and doesn't really want another one, but she's going to take it. Because uh, because we're going to emotionally blackmail her into into doing so. Yes. I, I I don't like that. So anyway, what are your policies? Like, yes. are you doing this? How do you do this? What paperwork is involved in this? What uh, does the does the pet owner have a chance to come up with money and get the pet back in a certain amount of time? All of those things need to be thought out about what exactly are you doing. And let's be clear, like. For I this in this case in particular, when I when I looked at it, I was just I wanted to stand up and like give them the this hospital a standing ovation because I was like, look, here's this hospital that had policies that had Mm -hmm. protocols that had had thought about some of this and done all of the right things. And then I took a step back and I looked at my own practices and my friends practices and did some asking. And for most of us, we haven't talked about it. We haven't thought through it. We're for most of us, it's like the the common situation is, you know, Dr. Rourke goes into the exam room and then the proverbial shit hits the fan. And then yeah. Dr. Rourke comes out of the exam room and we all huddle up in the treatment room and go, what are we going to do here? Do we yeah. do we do we offer them to, you know, because because we do care and we want to take care of the patient. We want to take care of the client. And so we're making those decisions. Not only are we making them in real time and yep. on the fly, but we're making them in times of very high emotions, yeah. which is really stupid from a <laughs> from a business perspective. Like that's yep. the worst thing that we can do to take care of our teams, to take care of our patients and our businesses. And so I think the smartest thing that we can do is acknowledge, like you and I started this by saying, like we have to acknowledge that this is a thing that is happening more and more frequently yep. and that it very well could be us. And so taking the time to sit down and talk through what actually are our protocols and not just the, the surrender piece is a big, huge hairy piece of it that has to be mm-hmm. talked out from a lot of different angles, but all of the pieces leading up to that when it comes to how do we talk to clients about finances? How do we, how do we, not only in the moment, like the first time we're having a financial conversation with the client should never be in that, in that case of an emergency, right? And for so many of us, it's the same um, as it is when we're having the surrender conversation, it's happening because now the emergency has happened or now the, you know, the unexpected has happened and the owner has said, I don't know what to do here. So we're having that conversation for the first time. And so it, for my fellow managers out there and practice owners, like this is where we have to look at 
the fingers pointing back at ourselves and take the reins back a little bit here and say, okay, there are a lot of steps along the way here that have to really be thought about and talked out and decisions made. And then not only the decisions made as a team, but then communicated to the team so that every member of the team knows when this situation happens, even if it's a once in a blue moon situation, what to do, right? It's like your team should know what happens uh, when there's a fire in the building. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't have a fire in the building with any regularity, right? But if that happens, every member of your team should know what to do. And that that adrenaline takes over. It should be the same in this kind of situation, even though we're way more likely to face having to have this the financial conversation or the emergency conversation or the surrender conversation way more often than we are a fire in the building. But we put more time and energy into that kind of disaster planning than than we do into this. And so this is this is where I can't like I can't soapbox on this hard enough. We have got to take a step back and spend some actual time developing plans and protocols, not just on the surrender piece, which is huge and important, but also on on the financial part of it. Yeah, I would I would say having those protocols, making those decisions at an unemotional time away yes. from the moment away happens, from the situation. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Tra- training your team on communication. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's that's your doctors and, mm-hmm. and your and your people. Um, how often do we see people being t- torn up online, not because of anything they did, but yep. because of how what they did was communicated to yes. the pet owner? That's 99 yes. percent of, of the time. And so yes. make sure you've got good protocols uh, to communicate with. I'm a huge fan of sending home uh, notes like medical notes, you know, yes. the, the your yep. soaps, however you want to set it up. Documentation. But documentation, <laughs> but also giving that to the pet owner, explaining kind of what happened, even in brief terms, yeah. but just trying to make them feel supported in what happened, make sure that they try to feel okay about it. And again, we're all working against time deadlines, but the better job we can do of that, the lower the chance of us getting hit by lightning. So these, those are the big things for me as far as reducing your probabilities. Good protocols that are well thought out, have pay, as many payment options that you can, or at least a clear structure of payment options to help people afford care um, in a way that works for, for your practice. And then good communication training so that people are good at communicating sensitive topics and things like that. Yeah. And so that's that's how that's how we reduce the probability. And, and the second thing is trying to reduce the impact when this does happen. And the biggest way to reduce the impact is to have a great reputation with your current clients and with your community. And that's something that you actually do have the power over. Uh, People will say to me, Andy, what's the best way to handle a truly awful, unfair one-star Google review? And I'd like the best way to handle it is to have 500 five-star reviews already. Yes, yes, Uh, this is such a, this is such a, I'm so glad you said that because it is such a soapbox. Like that is you, you, you don't you ignore it yeah. because you should be able to ignore the one-off, random one-star yeah. review. Or maybe your team really did screw something up, and maybe yeah. maybe it was there was some truth in what is being shared. But your reputation should be able to absorb that hit because you're focused on the good. And mm-hmm. so many of us ignore that and and do the panic flail about and go, oh, now I have to deal with the the negative. And we focus so much time and energy on that. And I I look I have looked repeatedly at colleagues and said, what if you took the amount of energy that you're spending on this and put it into actually talking to the clients who are happy 
with your yeah. services and getting them to to write reviews and getting them to share their story and leave that that kind of information like that is far more advantageous for all of us uh, to focus on that good so that we can absorb those those things right like i i don't think that there's actually anything even with a good reputation and something something like this where the mob mentality sets in and it, it is mm. the thousand calls in a day to the clinic. Like that is there. I don't think there's anything you could do to mitigate that. But the but the piece of this that often gets focused on is what do I do with that one star review? That yeah. is something that you absolutely can uh, focus on the positive and and outweigh that. And yeah. I, I agree. I, I think that that's I think that's the best thing you can do. I've seen people get defensive yeah. and and right. And that g- generally goes goes badly. Um, yeah. It's uh, once the narrative sort of starts, it, it's hard to wade into that and, and have any sort of a positive outcome. Um, the one side of the story has been has been told and, and uh, getting people to change their minds. It's amazing. You know, one's going to believe this when I say it. It turns out people on the internet are not really interested in changing their minds. Right. Um, like, I don't know. But again, broad generalities, not right. true of everyone, but internet mobs in general, yeah. uh, you know, they're they're tough to, to turn around. Yeah. Um, deep breaths, this too shall pass. Yeah. Don't, don't respond immediately. You need to try to get your head straight. You need to try to get some perspective. And the immediate yep. response is generally the defensive and emotional one. Yes. And that escalates rather than diffuses the situation. Yes. Circle up the wagons. Talk to the team. Quick team training, right? Um, what do they say when angry people call? What do they do if people have questions when they come in? What are we allowed to say? What are we not allowed to say? And if you say, Andy, I don't know the answers to those questions, I would say you need to get your PLIT uh, representative on the phone. You need to look at your liability insurance that you should already be in contact with those people about, hey, this is happening. I'm expecting a board complaint as a distinct possibility. if you don't have that insurance, you need to get that insurance. Yes. But you do not want to be out without support for this. So yeah. included in your in your license defense should be advisement on things like this. Get that advisement, figure out what you can say and what you can't say and start to work on uh, on what your response is going to be. There's a ton of resources out there and there's more and more coming along. The AVMA has really good cyberbullying resources. Uh, Not One More Vet is putting out more and more. They're really focusing on this. I think AHA has some resources. Uh, We want to turn off commenting on social media sites. It may get so bad, uh, especially if you're mega internet being a trout, you may end up turning off the phones and just reaching out to people who have scheduled appointments to communicate with them coming in. I've seen it happen. Um, people go, I'll never turn off the phones. Fuck that. If you have literally thousands of phone calls coming in a day, and these are all, again, it's a small number of people looking like a lot. These are robo callers. They're bots that just call and immediately call again, immediately call again. At, at some point, you you may have to actually do it. It's just a thing that happens. So right. anyway, get, get the resources together. Uh, Figure out what you can say, communicate that to your team, give them some language to use. Remember the phrase, let's practice what we're going to say. Uh, Turn off your turn off your online reviews, turn off your comments on your social media. You might have to turn your phones off for a day or so. Um, I hopefully hopefully not. That is the absolute worst case scenario. Right. 
But beyond that, just remember that this this too shall pass. Yeah, I think I think the other thing too, like I think the I think those are all great things, and there are some great resources out there that have been put together, you know, in in our industry in terms of like cyberbullying in particular. And I definitely would think about like having our teams prepare for that and do some edu- do you know do some education and and figure out figure out some of this stuff ahead of time. And then the other thing too, besides. Like this is where I'll soapbox instead of what does your handbook say? Like this is where you lean into professional help if it gets really mm-hmm. bad, you know, and think about maybe you do need to get, um, you know, somebody to help with PR. Maybe you do need to talk to an attorney to find yeah. out what you can say and what you can't say or someone, you know, from from a marketing or PR firm. Those are those are wise investments if you're really facing you know, the keyboard, the keyboard mafia. Um, mm. the, the other thing that I think is so, so important is you have to think about taking care of your team as well. Yeah. And so this is one where I would absolutely say this is a great example of why we need EAPs, employee assistance programs, because the team, this is going to be hard on them mentally, emotionally, um, you know, potentially physically, if people come to the clinic and are picketing and bullying outside of the clinic, right? Like there's all these kind of uh, potential impacts here. And so having support for them, thinking about bringing in um, someone from the community to be a professional resource, because as a manager or a practice owner, that's that's not my job. Like that's not my job. Mm-hmm. I shouldn't try and make it my job. And the team needs support. Like I think about this, this the poor doctor in this, in the case in Maine and, and, and the team who was a part of that case, right? Like they are giving they're giving themselves emotionally and doing their best to take care of their patients and they're still getting crapped on and that has, and, and then they're getting death threats and they're getting, you know, it's, it is personal. People literally are calling and, and leaving death threats for the team that has a a emotional psychological um, impact far beyond what I think a lot of us can imagine. And so the the last piece of that for me is that there has to be support and resources for the team. It is not your job to know what those what those resources are from a professional perspective, but as a as a practice leader, it is a hundred percent your job to make sure that your team has access to those resources. Yeah. And and get them get them taken care of. Yeah, I agree. The last thing that I would say is um lean into the work and lean into your purpose. So if you're going through this, try to keep your team focused on the actual clients in the building, Yeah, on doing the work, on taking care of the pets, on serving the people who are not faceless people on the internet, but are actual real people who know you and who come in. Yeah. Uh, I, I think that that's, um, I think that's the most mentally healthy thing you can do is try to, try to recognize that a lot of this is, is noise and the people who actually come in and know you, uh, they're the ones who matter and the pets that you're actually going to put your hands on, those are the ones that you can help. And so just trying to focus in and really think not in the existential you know, threat level, but in the what's right in front of me that I can actually do and who who here yeah. can I actually show how compassionate I am to that that's all you can do. And so I think that's where you should focus and you try to get the team to focus there. I, I think that that's a that's about the best path forward. Oh, man. Yeah, that's heavy. This is a this is a heavy one, uh, a real heavy one. I I um my heart it like goes out to to this clinic certainly and and all of our colleagues who uh we have watched go go through it like this is is hard yeah. it is hard it is heavy um and i think the number one 
thing that all of us can do is acknowledge like there is a possibility, maybe a very small statistical possibility. Think about the, uh, you know, millions of vet clinics out there, but I think we have to stop thinking this couldn't happen to me and start thinking, what would I do if this happened to me? Right. And start to think about how do we take care of our clients, our teams, our patients, ourselves, and really like think uh, proactively and not reactively here. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I I mean, once you're in it, you're in it and there's, it's not, there's not a great way out. Um, I I completely, avoidance is the best strategy. Um, and know that that's not entirely out of your, uh, that's not entirely in your control. Yeah. Um, there's, there's always benefits to over communicating. There's always benefits to having a plan. Um, that I think that that's all you can do. And then just know that sometimes it it happens. It's going to happen to the absolute best of us. Um, you know, Keep keep your chin up and, and just know. Unfortunately, I'm afraid this is part of this is part of modern medicine. Oh man! Well, have a wonderful week uh, yes. in your work, uh, friends. Have a great week, um, and we will talk to you all again soon. See you, everybody. Well, everybody, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. Thanks so much for spending your time with us. We truly enjoy spending part of our week with you. As always, Andy and I enjoyed getting into this topic. Um, I have a tiny little favorite ask, actually two of them. One is if you can go to wherever you source your podcasts from and hit the review button and leave us a review. We love hearing your feedback and knowing what you think of the podcast. And number two, if you haven't already, hit the subscribe button. Thanks so much for listening, guys. We'll see you soon.